You're listening to a podcast of New Covenant Church. Join us Sundays at 10.30 a.m. in Pompano. Amen. I don't know if you've heard this already in your spirit, but uh, God's actually already preached today. God's ways are not our ways, and his thoughts are not our thoughts. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so his ways are above our ways. His thoughts are above our thoughts. And if we were listening to the Spirit and we were understanding what was happening, even in the chaos and all the stuff that was going around that was quite inconvenient and quite not according to plan, and in some cases maybe a little frustrating, the God of peace was in our midst. And he was communicating to us his plan and his purpose. Even before we sang a song of praise or before I said a word from God's Scripture, He was speaking to his people. And so when we get into the more formal aspects of everything that's going to go on as part of the service, and we speak more clearly from God's word, because that's what God's word does. It speaks clearly into our confusion. It speaks light into the darkness. It speaks wholeness and healing into the midst of our, what we do, what we are, things unplanned. Understand that, that God is the God of everything. And this did not happen just by chance or circumstances. This was a plan of God. And by God's grace and in his mercy and by the humble heart of of those that are here in leadership, it it actually, we kind of roll with it, right? Just kind of move with the Spirit. And that's kind of where it was with Jesus, too. When the disciples woke up in the morning, if Jesus was even there because he hadn't gotten up and, and prayed, it was on to wherever, Wherever the Lord led, Scripture clearly says that as the wind blows and you hear where it comes from and you don't know, you hear it and you know it's there, but you don't know where it comes from or where it goes, so is everyone that is led by the Spirit. And we are children of God because we are sealed in the Spirit. So I would ask that you stand today. We stand as we read the Scripture that is from Luke chapter 1, verses 49 and 50. We stand not because it's a religious tradition, but because... It is an outward reflection of an inward attitude that we honor God. We honor God in his word. We honor God in his purposes. And we honor God for his work in our life. And this is part of the Magnificant. It's a, it's a, a religious name for a song of praise and joy that Mary spoke. And starting in verse 49, Mary says, For the mighty one has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is upon generation after generation towards those who fear him. You may be seated. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for your grace by which we stand, your spirit which empowers us and gives us understanding and illumines the things that the natural mind cannot comprehend, and that guards our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus by your peace which the world cannot know, for it does not know you. And that you have chosen each one of us for such a time as this to accomplish your work to your glory and to even our amazement. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to come back to Charlie's testimony because I think in her testimony is a reflection. A reflection of the heart of God and a reflection of what God himself did. Because if you listen to what Charlie said, she saw in her journey, in her struggles in the things that that were confronting her 
He saw that God was not losing control. He didn't fall off his throne. But God is the God in the journey. That God is the one who spoke to her and revealed to her his purpose through the process of walking in obedience in the direction of her spirit. And when she was walking in obedience to the spirit, she looked down and she saw vulnerable women, vulnerable children, people who the world had disenfranchised, had tossed aside, that were, were too much of an annoyance, honestly, the outcasts of the world. Now there is a grace, if you will, or a compassion of sorts that's out in the world, and that's the compassion that says, oh, we, we feel sorry for you. We'll give you some money, or we'll give some money to an organization, or we'll, we'll do something, but then we'll go on with our lives as though nothing happened. And we'll kind of forget quickly the problems that we have seen. This is not what Charlie did. Charlie saw a problem, and then God put it on her, uh, I'm sorry, Matt, Charlie and Matt. Because Matt is her covering. He is the priest of their home. And you can guarantee you that Charlie is standing in the ministry and in the position that she is in today because Matt, as a man of God, as a righteous man, encouraged her, blessed her, prayed for her, and stood with her as she walked in obedience. And what did is it that she did? She didn't just say in passing, well, here's, we'll pray for you. But prayer is good. I'm not saying anything bad about prayer. He did, she didn't say, well, I'll just give a donation. She said, I will give you myself. I will give you what I have in time, talent, and treasure. I will give you of everything that I have in my organization skills. I will give you myself so that the Lord of hosts may minister to your situation that you might find refuge, that you might find comfort, that you might find wholeness. And that is actually what the Magnificat is a song of. It's a song that God looked down on us, and he didn't just look upon our helplessness. He didn't just look upon our hopelessness, but he gave the best gift of all. He gave himself. The Bible says that judgment will be merciless to the merciless. But mercy has triumphed over judgment. And the birth of Jesus Christ is the testimony that God in his mercy and in his compassion triumphantly interrupted human history, triumphantly came in and said this, the Spirit of God became flesh and put on the clothing of flesh that we might see him. He came into our world. He came into our situation just like Charlie did into their particular situation to minister hope. And in this explosion of praise that Mary expresses to Elizabeth as she walks in the door to Elizabeth, if we look at the Magnificat at a, at, a, at a high level, we learn something about Mary. There are many things that are in the scriptures that are not plainly spoken. That's intended by God. Well, the secret things belong to the Lord, and he reveals them to those who seek him and diligently cry out to him. And many times the context of a scripture and the position that the person it is in reveals a tremendous truth. So if we look at the Magnificat just as a whole, not looking at the specific verses, what do we draw from it? Well, when we look at the Magnificat, the first thing that we see is it is almost entirely scripture. 
either direct quotes from the scripture of the Old Testament or allusions. Hannah's song in 2 Samuel, Hannah is the mother of Samuel, who was also barren and had problems, and God visited her and she rejoiced in the miracle that God had accomplished. Hannah's song is echoed greatly in the Magnificat. Psalms 103, Psalm, Psalm 107 is directly quoted and alluded to. Other parts of Psalms that are referenced are Psalms 34, 98, 118, 138, even Isaiah 51 and Job 5 are referenced in the Magnificat. And the conclusion part is out of Genesis and the Abrahamic covenant. What can we gather from this about Mary? She was a woman of the word. She was a woman who understood based on scripture because she was worshiping the Lord in the language of scripture what the promises of God meant. And isn't this what scripture says itself? The faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It comes to those that believe the Lord and this belief doesn't come just based on our own unction, based on our own thoughts. It comes through the Lord revealing himself to us through his spirit, but also rooted in his word. Now I'm going to also allude to this and the actual part of the other part of the uh, preaching. But there's a reason why Mary went to Elizabeth. It's inferred in scripture and the Bible doesn't say this clearly. I'll make this clear. But it's not hard for us to imagine what a child, uh, I'm sorry, a teenager, 14, 15, 16 years old, would be exposed to in an honor-based culture of the Near East, which is in that time, 2,000 years ago, when all of a sudden she was found to be with child out of wedlock. For us, even today, sometimes that can be a struggle and a hardship, especially for the mother. Back then, the consequences were much, much more severe, and we will touch on that. And so Elizabeth was a haven for Mary, I believe, and if you care to accept it. She went there and found refuge. She went there because she was vulnerable. She went there to seek one of like-minded faith who would be able to encourage her. And that's what Elizabeth did. She barely walked in the door, and Elizabeth said in previous scriptures, how is it that the mother of my Lord should come and visit my Lord. Elizabeth herself had experienced a miracle. And when Mary broke out into praise in the Magnificat, what was it? It was a song of the helpless, standing in testimony of what the world would not understand. It was a song of unexpected grace and mercy, where the Lord had come in and introduced and stepped into our world. Unexpected, and in some cases and in some quarters, unwanted. And it was a song of laughter, of God's laughter, in delighting to give himself to his people, to bring forth out of darkness his church, that royal priesthood, the holy nation, the peculiar people, that is you and I, out of darkness into the marvelous light. And it all began, began with the virgin birth of Mary. The world wasn't happy, but God was, and Mary was, and those that were called according to his purposes were. 
Now, Mary was a vulnerable teenage girl. She was powerless. She was not. She wore the scarlet letter, if you will, to use modern terms in her culture. And in, any, in many ways, Mary's song of the Magnificat was and is our song. Because, you see, this song is from someone who is helpless. And if God didn't intervene, literally, Mary would not be here or would have died. That if God did not come and put his blessing and his purposes in her heart, and that she walked and yielded and said, Be done unto me as according to your word, it could, at least in a different way, in a different plan, manifested itself. And the scripture clearly connects us to the outcasts and sojourners in the world. In 1 Corinthians 1, 26, it says, Consider your own calling, brethren, for there are not many who are wise according to the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble. But God has chosen the foolish things of this world to shame the wise, and God has chosen the weak things of this world, the things that are of nothing of this world, despised of this world, God has chosen. He has chosen these things that he may nullify that which is out in the world so that those who boast would boast in this, that they belong to the Lord. No man, not out there or in here, will be able to boast before the Lord except what the great things the Lord has done for us. What great things the Lord has accomplished for our purpose, for his purpose through us. So we see in the Magnificat that God has shown his loving kindness and his compassion and his power poured forth for people, and he has called us to respond to it. He has called us to surrender. And he has called us to surrender because he is God Almighty, but also because he has recognized that we are in need of a Savior. And God has called us to surrender because he knows us through and through. He knows us better than he know, we know ourselves. He knows even the hairs on our head. But nevertheless, he is the God because of who he is who takes us by the hand and leads us. He is the God who does not reject us. He is the God who does not cast us out. He is the God who receives us and wipes away every tear. For he is a father to the fatherless. He is the husband to the widow. He provides a home to the lonely. And he causes peace to reside in our hearts. For the Lord spoke even in the context of wholeness. For I know the plans I have for you, saith the Lord. Plans for your welfare. Word again. Plans for your wholeness. Plans for your shalom. To give you not calamity, but to give you a hope and a future. Then you will call upon me, saith the Lord. And come and pray to me and I will listen to you. The Lord has promised that he will listen to us. He will be our burden bearer. And you will seek me, and you will search for me, and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. This is the heart's passion of God, even when we weren't even looking for him. God was looking for us. He is the God who has reached down from heaven and intervened and interrupted our lives, even as we experienced here today. And it calls us to yield to him. So if you look at verse 49 as a first point, God calls us to surrender because he is God Almighty and our deliverer, but he has done great things for me. Holy is his name in verse 49. I want to dig into this a little bit better. Imagine your daughter comes to you at age 14 and she's engaged maybe or has a boyfriend and she says, I have great news. 
I'm pregnant. And the best part about it is the Son of God. As a parent, even today, in a liberal, Western, egalitarian culture, what would your reaction be? You'd be challenged. It would be hard. Even for a Christian family. Now imagine if you were engaged as a man. I'm going to speak to the men. And you were engaged to your betrothed. You had not come together yet. And all of a sudden she was found with child. What would your reaction be? I mean, you would know whether it was your child or not. You had to be there. If you weren't there, it was obviously not your child. And the Bible does tell us for reasons why God had to speak to Joseph. In Matthew 1, 18 through 20, when Jesus' mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. And Joseph, her husband, notice it refers to her. They had not come together. They had not had the marriage ceremony, but they still referred to him as, in Scripture as her husband because there was that commitment, that betrothal there. Being a righteous man and not... Her husband, being a righteous man, had not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. And then it says, but. Now, we look at that, and we don't pretty, pretty much understand, we don't understand really the full implications of that. Because in Deuteronomy 22, 22, it says, if a married woman, now remember, in the context of that culture, Mary was a married woman. If a married woman is found to be lying with a man, then you were to bring both of them out, and they were to be stoned. The law specified this. And therefore, by so doing, you were to purge the evil from your midst. So you got two things here. you got a mortal threat against Mary, and you have the whole act, the whole scenario, labeled as evil, according to Scripture. When the Bible says that Jesus was born under the curse of the law, to deliver us from the curse of the law, having fulfilled all of its righteous requirements, before he took his first breath, of our heir, he was born into a situation of mortal threat, of the curse, of an evil, of a perceived infidelity. And this was the things that were going on in Joseph's heart, in his mind. He loved Mary, I believe, and he wanted to do right by her. And being a righteous man, he didn't want to put this into a, a hard situation. But at the same time, I think we can, at least the men can understand, it's Probably not going to happen as far as the marriage, at least the, what we had planned originally. But the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph, and he spoke to her, and he said, Do not be afraid to take her, for what is conceived in her is of the God, of God, of the Spirit of God. He shall be called the Son of God. And so now God had not only spoken to Mary, but he had also spoken to Joseph. And in that confirmation... In that understanding that God had intervened and spared Mary of death, but not only of death, but that she would still be married to her husband. She would still be received because, again, if you were an outcast in that culture as a woman, there, you had no sustenance. You had no covering. There was nothing. If there wasn't a provider for you, you were in the city square begging. This was her future, but... God appeared to Joseph and said, do not be afraid. And when Mary heard and understood and perceived what God had done and intervened for her because she had yielded herself 
to the call and the will and the purposes of God and bearing the Son of God, she rejoiced with rejoicing that really only a person who steps out in faith, as we all have, with fear and trembling. And we are like, Lord, it's getting hot here. This is not, there's resistance, and there will always be resistance. There will always be those times where we will step out in faith and things won't go our way. And when things look at the bleakest moment, then the Lord intervenes and he steps in. And we, not only in the sense of relief and the sense of gratefulness and the sense of thankfulness, but we rejoice that God is God and he has stepped into my situation and he has and is bringing about his purposes in our life. Now in this situation, when we look again at, at the Magnificat and the rejoicing of Mary in her heart and the, that God is a holy God, we also should understand that just as small takeaways, that what looks like maybe a bad thing, a bad situation like an unwed mother, unwed pregnancy, that in God's wisdom and in God's providence and in God's sovereign purposes, the blessings of God can be and are being worked out. That what looks like something in our wisdom and in our understanding, like Mary's situation, that we would not want to... This can't be God. After all, we got Scripture that says it's an evil thing. Beware of the one who is justified in the Scriptures and says, oh, I know what God's plan is. Right? The scribes and Pharisees, they knew where Jesus was going to be born. They knew where he was going to be, Bethlehem. But somehow they missed it. Because they didn't have it united by faith and the spirit of God and love. And Mary, I'm not, I don't have time to get into it, but if you compare Jack Zacharias' response, here's a, a professional Levi, the guy whose job it was is to study the word and to teach other people. And, and the angel had to actually put silence on him because of all the unbelief that was coming out of his mouth. And Mary, her only question was, it doesn't seem possible. But once the angel explained to her the situation and how it would come. Her response was, be it done unto me according to your word. Mary didn't worry about the circumstances outside. She worried about only and nothing. Actually, she just yielded herself to the purposes of God in her, in her. And then finally also, just like happened in Mary, usually when we seek gifts and we seek certain situations as things working out in a certain way, Yes, God is the provider of all that we have need of according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Yes, God gives us peace and he gives us discernment. But the greatest gift and the thing that we so easily lose track of, the greatest person that the Lord Jesus gives is himself. That in the presence of the Lord there is fullness of joy and it doesn't matter really what's going on outside because when you are under the shelter of the Most High God, the arrow that flies by day and the plague that stalks by night will come by you. Though a thousand fall on your right and ten thousand on your left, yet it will not come near you. Because in the presence of the Lord, he watches the apple of his eye and he desires the spirit. Jealously, the Bible says, desires the spirit that he has placed within us. So the spirit... When we look at the gifts and we start seeking the Lord, the first thing we should seek after is the Lord, the person 
of the Lord Jesus Christ. We should hold fast to what God has promised to us and what he has given to us in the mountaintops and not doubt on the valley. Just like Mary, we should remember the goodness of the Lord and understand it and, and look for the hand and how God is, is working in our context, in our situation, in our lives. And remember, don't forget the goodness of the Lord. Find refuge, as Mary did, with like-minded believers who would be able to encourage your faith, that would not speak into you, well, really, hath God said? I mean, that phrase has been said from the garden to now, and it will continue to be said all the way up to the consummation when the King of kings and the Lord of lords shows up with flaming fire and the angels of ministry, and the church is caught up at the shout, at the voice of the archangel. And we are no longer to be separated from him by sin or death, but the mortal will put on the immortal. At that point, the hath God said question that Satan uses so often, even to try to undermine our faith, that question will be plainly answered and put afoot. Because yes, God did say it. And every word that has proceeded out of his mouth is forever settled in heaven. And it will not return to him void. And it will accomplish that for which he has sent it concerning you and I and everything pertaining to life and godliness. And so we must, as we said here, I mean, I, I was kind of struggling a little bit with, a, uh, with an illustration and then God just drops one right in the middle of the, before we even got in our seats. You know, expect the unexpected. It's good to have plans. It's good to have ideas about how God's going to work. But you know what? I, at least in my experience, is God doesn't work the way I want him to. And he doesn't really ask my opinion. He knows what I have need of. He knows what is best for me. He understands my situation. And many times, thank God, he doesn't give me what I ask for. It's okay to have plans. It kind of reminds me of, of uh, the Danish troops. You guys know where Denmark is? You know, it's up in a Scandinavian country, snows six months out of the year. They sent a contingent in 2003 in July to Desert Storm in Iraq. You guys know where Iraq is? It's like a big waste desert place. So they sent this contingent of soldiers, and it was great. It's part of NATO, part of a consignment, unity. Guess what they showed up with as part of their consignment? 200 snow shovels, 36 lawnmowers, and several dozen brooms. Now, maybe the brooms are okay because you can sweep out the sand from the desert, but what are you going to do with a snow shovel? What are you going to do with a lawnmower in a desert? Yet in their mind and how they had planned out the battle, how they were going to move forward, this sort of thing was reasonable to expect. I mean, if you're going to be up to your neck in snow, you're going to need a snow shovel. And in many ways, we get so put into our situation that we think it's only snowing. We only have to think about snow. We only have to worry and concern ourselves with the snow. And God's saying, no, you know, I know the plans I have for you. Plans for your welfare and not calamity. Then you shall call on me and come and pray to me and I will listen to you and speak to you. God knows what we have need of. God speaks to us in our circumstances, and we must hold loosely what our expectations are because God is the one who is in charge, not us. The second point, that God is a gracious and compassionate God, and he has called us to surrender to him because, in verse 50, 
it declares, and his mercy is upon generation to generations towards those who fear him. In other words, he's faithful. He knows us better than he, we know ourselves. He knows those things that we try to hide from other people. He knows those things we hide from ourselves. He knows us, even the hairs on our head. Every breath that we take, every beat in our heart, every thought that we speak or think, even before the word is spoken, he knows it all. And so when Mary speaks of his faithfulness here, taken out of Psalms 103, I'm going to read verses 11 through 18 so that we can set the context of it. Starting in verse 11 of Psalm 103, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. Second time it has said that. Same words that the Magnificat spoke. For he himself knows our frame, and he is mindful from our dust. How far is the east from the west? It's a rhetorical question, but give some thought to it. If you go in a straight line, how far is the east from the west? How far is the observable universe? Scientists throw out numbers like 13.7 billion light years. And that's just a number your whites see your eyes roll back and you have no concept of it. So uh, they give you a little bit of a, of, a, of a small taste. At the speed of light, if you could travel at the speed of light, you could go around the circumference of the earth twice in one second. In one second, 1001, you've gone around the world twice, the entire world. Takes 10 seconds for the speed of light to go from here to the moon. Takes eight minutes for the sunlight that comes from the sun to reach our planet. It takes four and a half hours for light to reach the edge of our universe. In one second of those hours, of those years, you've gone around the earth twice. That's the kind of distances we're talking about. And the edge of the, un, uh, the, edge of the observable universe is billions of years away. And so when God says, as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us, there is no measure, no understanding in our grasp. And really, the sin's gone. It's been removed. And the issue comes in our own memories. And we keep reminding God of our sins, and we keep reminding God. But then the Scripture says, There is thou therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the law of sin and death, but after the law of liberty and grace in Christ Jesus. Allow the Lord to wash our conscience, that we would be free from the condemnation of sin in the past and the thing that tries to hold us and bind us and defeat us even before we step in to what God has for us. Picking up in verse 15 of 103, For as a man in his days are like grass, as the flower of the field, so he flourishes. Yeah, people in the world flourish. All of us flourish. We appear like the grass, the flower in the field. But when the wind passes over it, it is no more, and its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to the everlasting towards those who fear him, and his righteousness to the children's children. Now I'm going to key in on the to those who fear him. We've heard that three times. We've heard it in the Magnificat three times here in Psalms 103. What does that mean? Does it mean you just got to fear God? The Bible says the demons believe in God. Satan believes in God. He shudders in fear. So is just sheer belief sufficient? Is it? 
Verse 18 of Psalm 103 speaks to it. To those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do them. Our God is a covenant-keeping God. Our God is one who sees our plight and our circumstances, and he doesn't say, be warm, be filled, and move on. He comes and steps down into our situation, and he gives of himself to us. He gives of his abundance, of his peace, of his mercy, of his grace to us. So that we might be able to stand and accomplish the impossible for us, which is possible for him. And that covenant relationship begins for you and I on that blood sacrifice on the cross of Jesus Christ. For the purpose that Jesus came into this world was not just to eat our food and to breathe our air and to experience temptation like us, yet without sin. In every way, he was tempted like us, yet without sin. But that he might hang on a cross, despised and forsaken, And when he cries out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? In that transaction where the Lord turns from the sins that are being laid upon his son. And he bleeds in the loneliness and isolation of the judgment of God. The perfect obedience. The yielded desire of communion between the son and his father would be offered to us. That we would be sealed in that covenant relationship as we ask the Lord to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. That he would transform our hearts and our minds and give us a clean conscience in covenant relationship. And that he would seal us in his spirit. By the way, the same spirit that hovered over Mary is the spirit that seals each one of us. It's the same spirit that brought about the miraculous revelation of Jesus Christ in the incarnation is the same spirit that goes before us to make the rough places smooth, that goes before us that says that you will go through the fire and you will go through the flood, but the fuel come out on the other side and the smell of smoke won't even be on you. Jesus said it this way, in the world you will have tribulation, but be of good courage, for I have overcome the world. So where we are, Let our hearts be panting hard and running hard after the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Desiring him over the blessings and not getting distracted off onto our circumstances and allowing the things of the world or even our... And and these are all real things. A part of a fallen world lived out by imperfect people. But we serve a perfect God who has destroyed the power of sin and death and is standing in our midst and saying, peace be still. Stand and know that I am your God. See the salvation of your Lord. He desires to fight for us in our victory. And too often, and it's again back to Charlie's illustration, think about what she would have lost if she just pressed in and took up the arms and I'm going to do this. Yay, medical science. I'm all for medical science, by the way. But she didn't. And the Lord fought a battle and brought out a victory that I don't think she even understood, at least at the beginning of the journey. Each one of us have that same call upon our lives. Each one of us have been called to come into that covenant relationship with him. Each one of us 
are called to fulfill the purpose for which we are here. You're not here by chance or circumstances or by accident. But you won't know his plan for your life until you first surrender to him as this deliverer, as God Almighty, as the one who is our deliverer, who is the faithful covenant-keeping God who knows us better than we know ourselves. So once more, I want to encourage you that he who began the good work in you shall complete it into the day of Christ Jesus, that he is faithful and just to present you without spot or blemish on that day when we stand before him and we see him in all his glory. And on that day, we will boast. This is our God. This is the one we hoped. This is the one we suffered ridicule and scorn and shame. The world didn't understand. But now, do you understand? This is the Lord our God that we delight in. For in the end, these momentary light afflictions that we all go through, and they are not so light at the moment, but in comparison to the glory that is to be revealed, they are not worthy to be compared to the revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word, which is forever settled in heaven. Thank you, Lord God, that you are living in our midst, that you've conquered the power of sin and death, and you are the God of the empty grave. And that you have and you know what we have need of and are more than desire. Your heart and your passion is poured out for us. And you rejoice over us with songs of great joy. But you've also called us to surrender to you, to enter into covenant relationship with you. That we would say, not our will, but thine be done. That we would yield to your purposes in our life. That we would see striving and know that you are God. And so, Lord Jesus... We give our lives afresh and anew to you. And we ask that your will would be accomplished in our lives this day. In Jesus' name, amen.